All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Thursday morning. Oh, yeah. Somewhere in the Midwest, a couple of farm boys sat down to talk <laughs> some MMA. Oh, boy. And boy, is there a lot to talk about. This is a jump. This is a big bowl of gumbo of MMA. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. That's not really a Midwest thing. That's a Louisiana thing. But right. Anyways, UFC on Vegas fifty. Fifty, yeah, the fiftieth one at the apex. Uh, so we got that coming up. We got one FC full uh, lights, lights out. out. Yes, <laughs> full circles. Last one. <laughs> Lights out, two title fights on there that we're going to talk about, so that's really fun. And also, Bellator 276 and Eagle FC 46, Whew, the second Eagle FC card in the United States of America, Yep, the country with which me and Dominic are both residents of and both love very much, and I also love Dominic very much. Dominic, how are you doing? I love you so much. And you know what's cool? I mean, we're, we're the United States guys, but our audience is worldwide, baby. But I, yeah, I'm excited. T- <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I love our audience. I love, yes. all the, I love all the listeners, all the people. Everyone. But you know that... Uh, let me try. Let me tread carefully on this one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know you have a nationwide audience for many different reasons. Uh, certain fighters, people really support and just you know show a lot for. Right. And also, you can just tell because some of the YouTube comments aren't exactly the best English. English isn't the first language for some right. people. Right. So. Is sometimes like sometimes uh, a, a comment that should take the average person like ten seconds to get through takes me like ten minutes sitting there trying to. Yeah, we got to be careful out. with it, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how you know that. But yeah, yes. go ahead. Um, but I'm excited. We have a lot of fights to talk about. We've got a lot of news to talk about. Fight announcements. You name it. We're going to cover it on this episode. Episode 188. No, I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm juiced. I just hope you. Oh, completely. And uh-huh. this is one of those episodes, man, where it gets so jam-packed, so tight in this Google Doc that we got. <laughs> yeah. That stuff's getting cut. You know, that's when you know you made it. True. And you got to start cutting stuff out of, out of the, the rotation. We, we cover it all, baby. We Look, do. sorry, we're big-timing people today. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but before we get into anything, Dominic, we got to start by telling our lovely audience where they can find us on social media. So go ahead. Yeah. So I, I need to, I wanted to implement this in the last episode. I forgot, but I'm going to do it here today. Just know that if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to drop a like comment to us. Like Noah was talking about, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening, give us a follow there. Give us a rating. If it's able, it helps out a lot. And for our socials, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram at Deasley 14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact. We're trying to become, you know, more, uh, what's the word? More engaged, more, more you know? social savvy. Yeah. Right, right. On the socials, we're trying. So give us a follow there. Interact with us on Twitter, on Instagram at baj underscore MMA podcast. And as for me, you can find me at nt baker underscore on Twitter or Instagram. If you go to the link in my bio on either of those, it'll take you to a link tree, mm-hmm. which presents you a list of links to all the platforms the podcast is on, along with the social media platforms. So that includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. There's also a couple links for Anchor, today's sponsor. Thank yes. you, Anchor. Amen. And uh, the first one of those, 
um, leaving a voice message if you have a thought about an upcoming fight or news story or if there's anything that you would like to let us know about our thoughts you have up to 60 seconds you can do it there also there's a link if you want to become a financial supporter of the podcast we just appreciate any and all support of course but that's it dominic anything else before we get into ufc vegas 50 we gotta get going baby yeah so let's start with this main event uh, a main event that's kind of quietly going under the radar. I think a lot of a people bit. are be, a lot of people are aware that this card is not your average fight night. There's some good fights on here more than yeah. you usually get, but the main event isn't really the fight that people are going to. Yeah, true. And that's because Tiago Santos is a plus four thirty five as it stands here Wednesday evening, and he's going up against the man right behind him in the rankings, Magomed Ankalaev. He's ranked number six. He's a six to one favorite. Ooh. Kind of just makes sense. But Dominic, uh, to start the discussion, I know we don't really focus on the betting side here. If you want to check that out tomorrow, Friday, we'll have the nosebleeds where we'll be going over all the betting breakdown for this card specifically. But I think it's fair to start the discussion here because it seems pretty clear that people almost think it's a given that Ankhlaev is going to win this fight. Is that? Is that deserved, deservedly so, or are people overlooking Tiago Santos here? Uh, I think it's definitely deserved at this point for Magomed. I mean, man, he's won seven in a row. He's looked so good every step of the way, and now he's he's amongst the top ten now. He's amongst the title contenders. Uh, so I understand. Minus 600, that's still a huge line. But the way he's been performing, the way Tiago has been looking, I think it just makes a lot of sense. Tiago... Although he's coming off of a win, just there isn't much momentum there, you know, because before that he had lost three in a row. The fight with Johnny Walker was a dud, if we're putting it lightly. Magomed's the complete opposite. Um, His style, I think, is a tough matchup for Santos as well. He's good everywhere, don't get me wrong, but when he can fall back to the wrestling, I think that poses a lot of problems for Tiago. So uh, I understand the respect that is being given to Ankalaev. Obviously, Tiago Santos is always going to have the power. That's why he's called Maheta, right? He's got the hammer tattooed on his chest, but we've not seen that in quite some time, man. So this is it's a it's a big fight for Magomed to prove he's ready to be in there amongst those title contenders. For Tiago, if he can fend off Ankalaev, that's going to tell me a lot of um, in terms of how much gas he might have left in the tank. You know, Ankalaev may be the complete package at light heavyweight. He he's close. He's very talented everywhere. He's from Dagestan, so you know that the grappling is just in, in it's in his it's in his DNA basically. Right. But the guy has hands. I mean, yes. and then it's How? not just like it's not just brute force. It's very calculated, very technical. Sometimes it doesn't lead to the most exciting fights. You know, Tiago Santos while Lately, um, really ever since the injury in the John Jones fight back in 2019, he just hasn't really been the same guy. Yeah. We saw flashes of it in his first fight back against Glover Teixeira, but ultimately it was kind of, it was very much a, like... It was short-lived. All that adrenaline. And yeah. then, obviously, Glover able to outlast him, and uh, I think he got a submission win. Then. Yep, I think the third um, round. So then ever since then, the, the two fights since then we've seen, um, we saw him fight Alexander Rackage. He lost a decision there. And then he had that five-round decision win over Johnny Walker. But both fights, while one win, one loss, they both had this glaring flaw in that Tiago Santos isn't really fighting like Tiago Santos anymore. He's slower. 
He's tentative. Mm-hmm. He is trying to be a smarter fighter, which, I, again, it's almost like what we talked about with Johnny Walker against Jamal Hill, where that's great, but one of the reasons why Tiago Santos gave John Jones fits was the activity, the, the right. aggression that he showed. Even on one leg, yes. he yes. was in John Jones' face trying to back him up to the cage. That's why we personally live scored it for Tiago Santos. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, since that loss, since that injury, that devastating injury, kept him out over a year, he just hasn't been the same guy. Yeah. And that's why these odds kind of make sense. That's why Ankalaev is a big favorite kind of makes sense because – He's 37, I think, Tiago, that is. Yeah, yeah. 38 now, actually. It might have been just like a flash-in-the-pan moment where it was like, you know, I would have gave him that decision that night against the greatest fighter of all time. Yeah. But he's not been – he's not fought close to that level since then. I agree. And while Ankalaev is not going to – a lot of people may not be super aware of Ankalaev's work. This could be the fight – that really opens everybody's eyes to how dangerous he is. I mean, I love Yuri Prohaska, and I and I sort of believe that he's going to beat Glover Teixeira in June. But it may be a short-lived destiny for him because Ankalaev might just be the more well-rounded, more well-rounded and smarter fighter. Yeah, he's dangerous, man. It's a, it's a big opportunity for him to, like you said, open a lot of eyes, get get that big spot. Right, his first main event. Tiago's been there and done that. This is the first time for Magomed. There's a lot on the line here for him, but I think he can potentially pass with flying colors. Yeah, the weird thing is, as much as I love Tiago Santos from that John Jones fight, that made me mm-hmm. love the guy. Unfortunately, I feel like the bigger test here is that it's five rounds, you know, for Ankalaev, just to show, okay, show you. I'm sure he'll be fine if it goes to rounds four and five, but, you know, it's a test that you got to pass to of be course. a contender. you got to show you can go into the championship rounds, or at least be under that kind of spotlight. Right. That's the bigger test here. I feel like Volkan Uzdemir, who was the last opponent that Magomed beat, was just as much, if not more, of a test than Tiago Santos is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just, I hate to say that, you know. I mean, nothing against Volkan Uzdemir, another former title challenger, but Tiago Santos, I really wanted to see him come back and basically continue where he left off. John Jones not in the division anymore yes. when he came back. It's just unfortunate. I think it was just like a flash in the pan. Like, unfortunately, it was like the right time, but or it was the right person, wrong time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, don't I know. get it. I get it. But uh, anything else before we kind of move on from that main event? On to the Eagle. Yep. Eagle FC 46. You know, it was kind of interesting trying to order <laughs> a lot of these main events. I, I didn't really know kind of how to do it, but I figured we'd get this one going here. And out of the way. <laughs> I think we need to take our time with this one. Let's go easy, maybe. So, no, no, no. no. I'm not saying we got to go easy. Okay. I'm okay, just saying good. I think we we should let this be a slow burn. Slow burn. Yeah. The main event of Eagle FC 46. Yep. In the welterweight division, we'll see the Motown Phenom Kevin Lee back after a tumultuous last year or more of his career. Yeah. Uh, coming off of a suspension for Adderall, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, coming off a couple losses in a row, a ser- he had a he tore his ACL. Um, you know, he lost. I mean, his he was on the first UFC main event in the COVID era. I know a lot of people think the COVID era kind of starts UFC 249, but 
there was a card in Brazil before yep. that, before they had like the four or five weeks off or whatever. Main event was Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira won the fight, and obviously you look at what happened to him after that. Kevin Lee just kind of faded. He, yeah. he had the fight with Daniel Rodriguez at 170 pounds where he was trying to re, re-enter that division and try to make a splash. And Daniel Rodriguez just kind of, I mean, kind of beat him he pretty did. handedly. Yeah, yeah. So he gets cut, the suspension, everything, you know, the stock on Kevin Lee at an all-time low, but I'm sure there's still a lot of people out there that see a lot of potential. And now he's getting matched up here. Obviously, Eagle FC really trying to make him kind of a big deal for their promotion. They're above a title fight here. Yeah. He's taking on the winner of the very first Ultimate Fighter, Diego the Nightmare Sanchez, who was also at a tumultuous last couple of years. Yes. No longer, no more Joshua Fabia. That, that era seems to be gone. Fabia is gone out of his life. But then Diego Sanchez had a more serious battle to face where he contracted a very serious case of COVID-19 that left him with blood clots, hospitalized for weeks, I believe. Yeah. Um, And here he is about three or four months out of of that hospital stay and is in a main event against Kevin Lee. We have not been very positive on this fight, Dominic. Now that we are close to fight night, have your thoughts changed at all? Have they have they become even worse on this fight or lower on this fight? Just elaborate to maybe anybody who didn't hear those original thoughts. If anything, it's probably worse after seeing the first face-off today. <laughs> um, I don't know. This is just, we're talking a 40-year-old Diego Sanchez who's been in some wars over the past 17, 18 years uh, during his time in the UFC to come back against a young stud. I don't care what anybody thinks of Kevin Lee. He's 29 years old. He's in his athletic prime, and he still has plenty of talent. So it's just such a uh, mismatch, in my opinion. I think it's a it's a bad look to kind of throw Diego in there. When truthfully, when Eagle FC signed Kevin Lee, I thought it was nice. You know, he could potentially be the front runner, the face of, if you will, of this 165 pound, this super lightweight division that he's been, you know, advocating for for years now. It seems like along with Habib, who's now his business partner, essentially. What a funny. Uh, pairing those two turned out to be here in the Eagle FC. So there was so much potential here with this signing, but to kick it off like this against Diego Sanchez just doesn't sit well with me at all. I can just only hope that nothing bad will happen, you know, in the cage tomorrow. And listen, if Diego Sanchez pulls off the upset, I'll quite literally shit down my leg as I'm watching the fight. But, uh, you know, never say never in this sport, but overall I don't like it. I think it's terrible matchmaking. Uh, there's a lot more you could have done with Kevin Lee headlining in America for Eagle FC, who had such a great debut card a couple months back in the U.S. Just wasn't the way to go, man. And it still isn't right now. And we want to support Eagle FC. Look, yeah. we're, giving them prime, we're giving them prime billing on our biggest show of the week. Yes. <laughs> but more than that, like we we liked the last event in America. Eagle FC 44. It's yeah. good. It's a good card. Obviously, that was after Bigfoot Silva, thankfully, got removed from the yes, event. Yes, true, Where true. he should have never been put in the first place. But it was like they failed upwards. Like, you lose a fighter, and then they somehow made it a better fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Here, I was kind of hoping something would happen. I was hoping somebody would come to their senses. The state of Florida, might their commission, that always seems to be kind of lacking yeah. any sort of 
brain when it comes to MMA. You know, this is the promotion that allowed, um, now I'm forgetting uh, the boxer that Evander uh, Holyfield to box. Oh, yeah. Um, not too long ago when he was in his 50s and barely, he boxed Vitor Belfort and he was right, yeah, barely, yeah. I mean, he was barely mobile. So, my fault for putting any confidence in the commission to do anything. But, you know, I guess if we're going to give Diego Sanchez any credit here, obviously at one time was a great fighter. Yes. A stud. I mean, he won yes. the first season of the Ultimate Fighter back when winning the Ultimate Fighter really meant something. And, you know, he fought for, he bought BJ Penn for a world title. So he's he's been there, done that. But even if you go before Joshua Fabia entered the fold. I mean, if you look at just some of his fights right before that, not the same fighter that he was. It was then. going downhill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he was still capable of some fun fights some good yes. performances, but it was against a lot of guys on equal footing. I am, I'm not sure if these fights are really what happened, but guys like, you know, Clay Guida, and mm-hmm. people like that, that, are still capable, you know, Clay Guida's still fighting today. And he's, yeah. I mean, that's good. He's fine. He's fighting adequate matchups. But yeah. Kevin Lee, I know this is at 165 pounds. I think I accidentally said welterweight, but 165 pounds, which yeah. is, I believe they're calling it super lightweight. Super lightweight. If Kevin Lee were in the UFC still, is there any doubt that he would still be a top 15 in our eyes, whether he'd be ranking-wise if he was that lightweight or welterweight, he would probably be top 15 in either one, at least yeah. lightweight. I mean, yeah. So the matchmaking here just doesn't make much sense. It's, it's very much like, I mean, and they did have a couple of fights like this on their first American card. It's the setup matchmaking that I talk about where it's set right. up to make, give a highlight real performance to one guy. One guy is being set up to win. Yeah. That's Kevin Lee, the guy that it seems like they really want to build around in the United States. Right. I understand that, but I don't like it because Diego Sanchez shouldn't probably be fighting anymore. And especially not, not Kevin a couple Lee. months after a serious case of COVID and yes, <laughs> against an opponent like Kevin Lee. Yeah. So all in all, I, I don't really like, I don't like the main event. I really don't. I'm, I'm going to watch it. We'll see what happens. But if this is going to be kind of Eagle FC's MO moving forward, and if it goes how we kind of believe it will, it's going to be harder for me to support some of these cards down the road, potentially. You know, if Diego Sanchez comes in here and shocks us all, and maybe it's a great fight or he wins, then I can maybe put a little more confidence that Eagle FC and Habib know what they're doing on that side of things. Right. But until then... This is the way I'm going to feel. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's deserved to feel that way, and I'm sure we're not the only ones, and I feel like this flew under the radar, you know, the past couple months, but here we are. Now we're a day away from when it happens, and uh, there's no signs of turning back, so here we go. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about one FC lights out, two title fights on the MMA side of things anyways, if you're a fan of kickboxing, Muay Thai, there's a lot of that on here as well. However, for the MMA side, the main event for the featherweight title, Thon Lee looks to make the first defense of his featherweight title, going up against Gary Tonin, 
the jujitsu ace. Yes. So Dominic, this matchup, Don Lee, former contender series veteran. So we yeah. have seen him before. Yeah. He was one of those guys that kind of fell through the cracks that a lot of people thought Dana should have signed at the time. He didn't. And now he's doing big things over in Singapore. But we, we've, I mean, we don't even follow like jujitsu grappling competitively and, I, I know who Gary Tonin is. Right, I mean? exactly. So I knew who he was before he came over to MMA. So for this matchup, what do you think? What what kind of caliber of fight are we about to get? Uh, I think this is saying a lot about the belief in Gary Tonin. You know, he's 6-0. and He's undefeated <laughs> in his career. All six fights have came in one championship. Yes, he's a jiu-jitsu ace, but he's also got two KOTKOs. I mean, that shows that he's moving along quickly in terms of his transition into MMA. Uh, and for, for Thon Lee, he's got 11 knockouts. So it's, you know, complete opposites in terms of the styles here. He has also finished a hundred percent of his fights with, he does have one submission. Um, I didn't realize he was already 36 years old. Lee that is. So while he is the champion, the, there's only so much more prime time left. At least I would mm. imagine you never know. Uh, but, you know, Gary being six years younger right now in his athletic prime, uh, just a bigger guy in general. I think it's going to be a really good stylistic clash here. I like how you pointed out we've seen Thon Lee on the Contender Series. Um, even a couple other promotions I can't think of off the top of my head, but he's had success everywhere. Um, and he is riding a win streak right now. He's won four in a row, so he has momentum on his side. He's got that gold belt. But Gary Tonin, I think he's coming to make a statement, man. This is going to be an interesting clash. Thon Lee has also fought for LFA. That's what it was, was actually the yep. last promotion that he lost in actually fun. Yeah. Fight. So undefeated in one, yep. I looked up what episode Thon Lee was on for contender. It was actually the episode, the very second episode of the whole show. And that was the episode. I remember when I went and watched it, you know, a few months ago was going through and binge watching contender. Sean O'Malley was on that card. Mm. He was the only guy that got a contract that night. Even yeah. though I remember going, oh, Thon Lee's going to get a contract. He had a great yeah. performance. Dana fell in love with Sean O'Malley. Didn't even look anybody right. else. Didn't even sniff anybody else's direction. Yeah. But you're right. It, it has the makings of a great fight, that stylistic clash. Both guys are fighting at such a superb level right now. Thon Lee, you're right, 36 years old, but he just he really feels like he's finally kind of coming to his own. So Yeah. While it may be short-lived, this kind of prime he's riding right now, for Gary Tonin, you just feel like there's so much upside with him. Yes, Mm -hmm. second-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But also, he's got two wins via TKO. So, I mean, he's he's showing that he's at least open to well-rounding the skill set. You know, a lot of times when these guys... One of the traits I hear about, again, we've never trained you know, professionally jiu-jitsu or any sort of form of mixed martial art. But one of the things you hear a lot about people who are in that scene is that these guys that are heavy into jiu-jitsu and try to come over into MMA or boxing or whatever, striking, once you get into the MMA realm, they always believe jiu-jitsu is like king. Like they always want to believe it's like the, the superb martial art. Right. Which I'm not saying it doesn't have its advantages and isn't at times the best because you see people win with jiu-jitsu a lot. But 
to the extent where they basically negate even learning a lot of the striking techniques and anything else to well-round the skill set. Gary yep. Tonin seems to be taking it all in stride, which is saying a lot for a guy who's so highly regarded as him. Yeah. I think I'm looking forward to this quite a bit. It feels like you're almost at a crossroads with this division. Don Lee hasn't been at the top too long, but is 36. And then Gary Tonin's 30 years old, right in that prime. Only fought six times professionally, I believe. Yeah, so, six and yeah, six and zero. So I mean, he fight years wise, he should be pretty fresh. I know he's done obviously years of professional jujitsu, but you don't have to take punches to the face. Yeah, yeah. There, so um, could be a really fun fight for sure. I agree, man. Also on this card, a fight, a name that will probably be more familiar for a lot of UFC fans. For the bantamweight title, the two-time bantamweight champion, Bibiano Fernandez looks to make the, this time, second defense on this run of his bantamweight title against UFC veteran John Lineker. Yeah. Now, obviously, John Lineker's been in the promotion for a while. He's one of the bigger signings one had. I mean, I remember John Lineker came over around... 2017, 2018, and that was really before one had made the big splash with the trade for Demetrius yeah. Johnson and signing Eddie Alvarez. So, or um, even Sage Northcutt, I believe, yeah. was before that. But so he was like one of the OG big signings for one when they were really on the come up, and he's looked great. I mean, he's always been like he's he's a male Jessica Andrade. I mean, he's yeah. just this stout, just muscled wrecking ball of a fighter that's always moving forward can take a lot of punishment tries to give a lot of punishment he's very much a take a shot to give a shot type guy but he is a smart fighter i mean he's 34 9 13 wins by decision it's not like he's just going out there KOing people every time he's got a well-rounded game yeah but viviano fernandez likes to do one thing and one thing only and that is make people tap dom yes He's done it a lot in his career. I'm curious for you. I know we probably know a lot more about John Lineker, but do you believe he poses much of a threat here to the champion Fernandez? I think he poses a big threat, Noah. I do, just because I know that equalizer that Lineker mm -hmm. does have. So for Bibiano here, by the way, that name is so badass. If he can get this fight to the ground, that's where I'm going to be really intrigued if he can keep it there. Because John Lineker is not just a novice there either. He, like Noah said, he is very well-rounded. The The age gap here is a big difference to me too. With John still only being 31, having that many fights is crazy. But Bibiano here, he's, he's 41, so the clock is ticking. I feel like mm -hmm. I've said that for both champions, but especially here in Fernandez's case. So uh, Lineker being the younger guy, yes, he has way more fights and a lot of fight years that Noah always likes to point out. I think he's going to pose a big threat. I think he's always dangerous. Uh, even as the fight continues to go on, I've never seen Lineker really uh, wear out too much. So uh, this is a good fight. It's evenly matched in terms of those skill sets, but Lineker could have a chance to come in and finally get that belt that he's been wanting in one championship. I, I looked up how many title defenses Fernandez had on his first run. He had seven title defenses. So Man. A lot of championship pedigree and experience there. And you're right, 41 years old. With his skill set, I feel like if he can get the upper hand in terms of whether he catches 
Lineker's catches his back or um, is able to get him to the ground and be yep. able to get top position, or even if he's on his back but is able to sneak his way into some sort of um, armbar or choke. I feel like he's got skill set where he's still lethal there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But John Lineker carries heavy, heavy hands. And, again, when you add up those fight years, when you add up that experience, you never know when it's too much, when one one shot's going to be enough. So another intriguing fight for sure. You know, these are names that we're all kind of, you know, the the A-side – for both of these fights kind of feel like it's the challenger. I agree. Yep. You know, you got Gary Tonin and John Lineker, both guys that a lot of people have been following outside of one. So it feels like a big fight for the champions to kind of get some of that attention that is probably more on the challengers right now. Yeah. I like that, man. Finally. for The the, Rock. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) For... You know the the big the big fights of the weekend. Obviously, we got more to talk about, but Bellator two seventy six. Last but not least, and our main event was one where when it when I saw it announced, I was kind of like, eh, okay, I'm like, I'm sure it'll be a decent main event. But as we get closer, yeah. I start to learn a little bit more about Adam Borix and Mads Burnell, both ranked number two, by the way. I yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, <laughs> I think we got a pretty fun scrap on our hands, Dominic. Both guys from Europe, I believe. So a lot of action. Like these guys are very high pace, high output. Is there anything that you know the casual fans might be missing on this card? That you know, Bellator. You know, you don't see a title fight. You kind of assume the worst. So what what could people be in store for with this matchup? Uh, I I don't let the two to one odds for Brunel fool you. I think this might be the most evenly matched main event across the board here in terms of all four uh, fight cards that we're co- covering. Uh, I think this is going to be a really fun fight, man. I mean, for Brunel, he's sixteen and three. He's on a seven fight win streak. Adam is seventeen and one, eight and one in Bellator. Uh, both guys are twenty eight years old. They're in their athletic primes. They're vying for a title shot. There's a lot on the line which leads me to believe they're going to come out and leave it all in the cage. I think it's going to be a really fun scrap. Uh, Mads Brunel has a ton of submissions on his side. Adam's a little bit more 50-50 with the way he finishes fights, so that just makes it even more intriguing to me. We've got two great mixed martial artists at very even points in their career, very even skill sets. I think this is a great main event. Yeah, I saw some people talking about Mads Brunel because he used to fight in the UFC. Yeah. One and two there, and actually – Barely, because you look at that one and two, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, wasn't wasn't the best of the best, right? But in his last fight, he fought Arnold Allen, who is now yeah um, one top of the 10. top fighters in the featherweight division, forty UFC, was nearly winning that fight, or was going to win that fight, from what I've been told. I don't remember this fight, and then Arnold Allen got a submission, I believe, in mm-hmm. round three, so. Um, a fight that, you know, if Burnell wins, who knows what happens. But instead, he gets cut. He goes to Cage Warriors, had a great run there, went 4-0. Here he is, 3-0 in Bellator, coming off a win over Emmanuel Sanchez. Um, Big who win. In, who was in the Grand Prix, I believe. So yep, yep. He's riding quite a wave of momentum, and I think that's why the odds are what they are. But you are right. I mean, you look at Adam Borix and... So you could say a lot of very good things. He's probably the more tested fighter 
in all seriousness. I mean, some of the names he's beaten, Darian called, or he lost to Darian Caldwell, but he's beat Pat Coran, Aaron Pico. Yeah. You know, those are big wins for Adam Borick. So I do think it's a closer fight on paper, but I understand why people are so excited about Mads Burnell because he might really be, really the winner of this should be the one to watch out for. I mean, they're going to yes. be probably in a title shot next. I mean, we have the rematch between Patricio Pitbull and AJ McKee coming up. If McKee wins that again, the winner of this fight should be up next, I think. 100%. Absolutely. Now, we got more fights to talk about later in the show, but we're going to get into a little bit of news here. and Quite a big one. Yeah, quite a big one. Kayla Harrison has officially... Finally. ...re-signed <laughs> with the PFL. I believe it's a two-year contract. Um, the PFL matched the offer that Bellator had given at the 11th hour. Apparently, um, I didn't know this when we talked about Kayla previously because I don't really know him. I don't know. I'm not on the inside. I don't know the contracts. Right. right. Apparently, the PFL in their contract had the right to match any offer. Yeah. That any other promotion would give, kind of like a restricted free agent in basketball basically so you saw a lot of frustration with kayla in the weeks leading up to this and now she's finally signed pfl also had some other things that came out but we're going to start with kayla harrison dominic now that the dust is settled the it's over the the this marathon of a free agency that we've been through who is the biggest winner of this free agency, and who is the biggest loser, in your opinion? I know, Big, tough question on the that, that is tough. I mean, truthfully, the biggest winner is probably still Kayla because she's clearly secure in the bag from all signs. That's what it's pointing toward here with another chance to win an extra million on top of that with the um, the PFL season starting up in April or May sometime later this spring. So, you know, it's always tough that tournament but for her right now in the competition that's there it looks like she's well on her way to securing another one million and a third belt so i'd say she's definitely the biggest winner uh which would i guess mean pfl is a winner too i don't necessarily think like i don't want to say bellator is a loser because there's a couple things we're going to get into next that goes along with this story that i might kind of touch on so really after everything the dust has settled i don't know if they're is a loser in my opinion. I'm actually curious to get your thoughts on that. So I would agree with you. Kayla Harrison, the biggest winner of this whole yeah, thing. Yeah. I know some people may not view it that way because like she really wanted to test herself and right. prove that she's the best in the world. And I think a lot of people are like, well, she's not going to get to do that now because she's staying in the PFL. You know what? I might say the PFL is the biggest winner, actually. Because I do think there's a part... There is something to that for Kayla. Yes, she's going to get paid well. Yeah. But it does feel a little bit like a lateral move. Because, again, she is staying in a promotion that isn't really, at this time, capable of giving her big fights. I mean, Julia Budd's an interesting fight. But yeah, doesn't quite carry the same weight of a Chris Cyborg, Amanda Nunes fight, etc. Right. So I would say the PFL retaining their biggest star is the biggest one because you know how much there was probably riding on that. We even questioned how much was riding on that. Was the PFL in danger with yeah. she left? You know, yep. that's, that'd be a big blow. The first star, the only star they've really created themselves at this point. Now the biggest loser 
his name's like Jenna Fabian. Mm, I see where you went. Yeah. Yeah. It's any of those other lightweights in the women's division that thought they might have a chance to win a million dollars. Cause yeah, I mean, you might as well write her to check now. I'm, I'm sure that that had, that plays a part in here. And, uh, you know, we're going to see similar. I mean, who knows? Obviously, after the Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunez fight. <laughs> this gets rolled up almost every week now. <laughs> I guess anything's possible, right? Yeah. That's the sport of MMA. But it feels like you're going to get a lot of what we saw last season yeah. for the next two years. And, I mean, that's fine. Hey, I love Kayla Harrison. I love watching her dominate. But it's a little disappointing considering what it could have been. Now, there is the question of, now it's almost like uh, the shoe's been put on the other foot, where now Kayla Harrison has to secure a contract, and Chris Cyborg has apparently a contract that's coming up. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, well, is Chris Cyborg going to go to the PFL? Yeah. And this kind of leads us into our second part here, where the PFL also announced their CEO did, along with this contract. So How am I going to say this? So they announced their... <laughs> They're they're planning to move the pay per view or to have fights on pay per view right. is, is the yeah. the sentiment, and they announced this with Kayla Harrison because they said Kayla is going to fight in the tournament, the lightweight tournament, but also yes she will be a part of a pay per view super fight division. There was no other explanation. Yes, that was pretty much it. <laughs> so Dominic, your thoughts. Your immediate thoughts. I know we'll have to see what happens, but when you heard PFLs wanting to make this push for pay-per-view, do you support it? Do you not? And what is this super fight division that they're talking about? I definitely don't think it's a great move uh, business-wise for them. We've already discussed how they're hiding the contender fights. I called them contender fights. The challenger <laughs> fights behind a paywall on Fubo yeah. TV. Now you're going to charge people yeah, who would pay for Yeah, I mean, who would pay for that? I mean, I know, on. right? I don't even know anybody that did. <laughs> but uh, and now you're going to do pay-per-view events as well. Listen, I'm all for these MMA organizations trying to make money, trying to build their audience. But for an organization that's not the UFC, it's very hard to go the pay-per-view route. And I think that's why I'm not going to say this is going to – it might fail. But I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now. But I don't like it. I don't think it's a smart move. Uh, me and O were texting back and forth in our – Twitter DMs when we get these news stories and we both kind of said there's only like one thing worth it. You know what I mean? And it is a Kayla versus Cyborg, which we will again touch on in a second, I'm sure. But other than that, because if we're, it looks like they're going to try and cross promote. Well, we know the UFC is not going to do that. They don't, they're not going to do it. Noah's had very long winded speeches on why the UFC will not do this. So it's, well, are you going to cross promote with one? Or are you going to cross promote with Bellator? That's kind of your only route here. And even then, how many big super fights can you actually make that are going to garner enough audience to buy your pay-per-view to pay and, and make up for it, essentially? Make it worthwhile. There's just hardly – I can't name any others, honestly, besides Kayla versus Cyborg. So with that said, I think it's not the greatest look. I know you have your own thoughts as well. I was watching recently. I told you occasionally I'll go back when I don't have anything to watch or listen to at work. I'll, I'll put on um, – the, there was a show that MMA Fighting used to have on their YouTube channels called the MMA Beat. Some of you longer, hardcore UFC fans will probably be aware of it. Personalities like Ariel Hawani, um, Chuck Mendenhall, Luke Thomas. These guys were all big features. And there was like a panel of like four uh, 
people working in MMA journalism in some capacity. And they would just give their thoughts on the biggest topics of the week or whatever, or any upcoming cards, whatever it might be. One of their earliest episodes, which was probably 2012 or so, I was watching before this announcement came out. And it was talking about how Bellator, who maybe now we aren't, we, we don't know, but when Bellator first started, they did tournaments. Season tournaments. That was their whatever, what the PFL is kind of doing now. That was at one time what Bellator did. They had announced they were making a move to pay-per-view. And they were planning to do, it was Rampage Jackson versus Tito Ortiz. That was going to be the fight, which was an okay fight at that time. But I believe Tito fell out and it ended up being like Rampage versus King Mo. Yeah, It was a big deal for Bellator at one time, but... It bombed. The pay-per-view bombed. It was a complete failure. And you saw eventually Bellator went to zone, which was behind a paywall, but it, it was it elevated them a little bit and now they're on showtime doing pretty well. Yeah. It's not gonna work. I'm just gonna be honest with you. And even if we we both said it, Dom, Cyborg Kayla is the only fight that really makes sense for this. Here's the brutal truth about that fight though. Does it sell more than 200,000 pay-per-view buys? I mean, I don't think point. so. Yeah. Kayla Harrison's a big deal, but I don't think she's quite reached like a... She hasn't quite hit that that nerve with the casual fans or people who mm-hmm. don't even watch MMA regularly. Yeah. I mean, she was at a... Um, when, when, oh, I yeah. I think we talked about on the show. She was at a... Uh, what was it, like a festival? They did like a, a holiday parade back. Yeah, it was period. a holiday parade yeah. in her home area, yes. which is where we're from as well. Yeah. And our buddy who was there said that it wasn't like people were treating her like a celebrity. You know, you could walk right up to her. and Yeah. You know, it's like she was, people see, there was, you know, she definitely had her observers and people who knew who she was, but this was like her home area. And yeah. she wasn't being bombarded with, you know, a mob of people. Right. So as I, I, I think it's generous to say that her and Cyborg would sell 200,000 pay-per-views. It's a big fight, but it's a big fight for us, the hardcore fans. Yeah. yeah. So I don't really see where they make their money here. Are they going to try to pick up scraps that the UFC cut? Like, are they going to try to sign some of these names that may fall through the cracks here soon or something? I don't know. But... I question it 100%. And as far as what a pay-per-view super fight division is, I mean, I think it's going to still be weight class. It's, it's, it's not like we're going to see if they signed like um, Alistair Overeem or something. I'm just throwing out the name. There's no chance we're going to see Overeem versus Kayla Harrison. But <laughs> right, right. It's not like they're in the same division. But I yeah. think it's more that they want to have fights separate from the tournament because yes. this is the same dilemma the UFC ran into in the early 90s. You when it, they started it all, right, in America, they were doing one-night tournaments for like yep. four or five years. But then within a few events, I mean, UFC 5 was the first super fight, title fight. There was a whole tournament, but then there was a main event separate from the tournament that saw Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock the rematch. Mm-hmm. They were both in the UFC 3 tournament, I believe, and that's the one where... Hoist fought Kimo Leopoldo, who was just this big fucking bruiser of a man at that time. 
and Hoist won, but he got fucked up in the fight. Yeah. So he's out. Well, Ken Shamrock says, well, I only want to fight Hoist Gracie, so now I'm out. Yeah. So then they don't get either guy in the, in, in the finals, and then they had a replacement fighter step in and who hadn't fought at all that night and win the whole tournament, Steve Jenham. So didn't work out. So they finally were like, well, let's just give people the matchups they want. Right. Separate from the tournament. This is what I think the PFL's running into now. There's certain matchups they want to make, but they don't want to risk their tournament format Exactly. Hurting it. You know, they've signed a lot of names last year, and a lot of those didn't really pay off. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah. But they could have, I guess, theoretically, if they had fights separate, Anthony Pettis could have probably headlined some sort of card. Yep. Against another big name. But, again, this is all, like, I'm okay with PFL wanting to have separate fights from the tournament yeah we've advocated for that you know i want to see more fights throughout the year yeah that's what i've been saying but not with pay-per-view that's yeah no 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 let's keep the pf or keep the espn plus thing going just right can we get more events throughout the year i don't know maybe we can't but i don't like the idea of adding a pay-per-view it's just more money that mma fans have to spend we already have to spend so much money yeah. To follow this sport, to yeah. follow it as much as we do. I mean, you got to pay for all these different platforms that show all these fights. PFL is already asking you to spend 65 bucks on Fubo a month, <laughs> yeah. which who would do that again? I know. I mean, yeah. Seriously, what a yeah. dumbass to do that. <laughs> but now you're going to ask us to pay another, I don't know, would it be like 30, 40, 50 bucks for a pay per view? Right. On. Yeah, get it out of here. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Now, before we get back into the fights, because I know that was kind of a long-winded rant, we're going to get into some things we missed. Just a few smaller topics that we want to touch on, touch a little, before we get into the rest. Yeah. Starts with Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles. Hey, now. Last saw him losing in what was a very good effort, but a loss nonetheless in his second title fight with Israel Adesanya. He made a post, Dominic, a cryptic post, I might add, hinting at a potential return sooner than expected. Dominic, what did you gather from this tweet? I don't have the tweet in front of me, but it essentially said, uh, was it Skinny or skinny Robber might be coming sooner than expected? You almost hit it right on the head there. No, so uh, when you saw that tweet, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of seem to have thought, a lot different than a lot of people in the community anyway. I saw outlets taking it and running with it. And I'm like, guys, hey, hold on. <laughs> it was just, uh, I took it simply as, because um, he, he's a guy that when he's not in fight camp, he always is talking about like food and how he gets big. And he's been on vacation and stuff recently too. So I guess if you like kind of see more of him and like what he's posting, maybe you wouldn't have ran with it as much like some outlets did. But uh, I took it as he's getting ready to enter back into a fight camp. He's getting ready to start cutting weight again. I think he's going to have a quick turnaround. He just fought a a month ago what will be this Saturday against Izzy. Uh, I think we're going to see him against Marvin Vittori. I think Vittori's been out for a little bit. He's looking for a fight. It's a fight uh, that makes a ton of sense. That's a great matchup, those two. Uh, So I think we're going to just be seeing that here relatively soon in the springtime. I didn't take it as back to 170 he goes. He's lost two times to Izzy. Like, no, guys. Like, Rob, don't get me wrong. He's not huge for 185. I don't see him ever going to 170 again. I could be wrong. 
But that's how I took it, my friend. I agree, but I will say there was a part of me that at least was like, well, maybe he is you going know. back to 170. Yeah. I didn't actually see what people were saying. I saw where our buddy had sent it to us on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I, that was just the immediate – I saw the, the post, and I was like, oh, maybe he's going back to 170 pounds, which I would actually be very interested in. Yeah, yeah. But – not quite sure it's going to happen because there was a reason he went up to middleweight in general. Um, Robert Whitaker won a season of the Ultimate Fighter, right? Yeah. He yes, just, he, he did. Won his, and he won it at welterweight. Started his career at welterweight, but it was kind of a middling start to his yeah, career. It was. He just he wasn't the same guy because he was draining himself very hard. I mean, that's fifteen less pounds. Yeah. And not that he probably cuts a lot to make 185, especially compared to some of these guys in that division, but it's enough to where the extra 15 was just too much. Yeah. He got TKO'd by Stephen Thompson um, in 2016, and then he went up, and he has been... So good. The the Bobby Knuckles we all know <laughs> and love since. Yeah. So I don't really... You know, if he went back down, I would be cautiously optimistic because... There's some matchups I'd be very interested in seeing. I did kind of cheekily mention a rematch with Wonderboy at that division, <laughs> but I, I I think he'd probably fight someone a little bit higher at this point. Maybe maybe Colby Covington should have called him out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I, I love the idea of like an Usman-Whitaker fight. I mean, that does kind of like really interest me because Robert Whitaker is like the best anti-wrestler yeah. in the UFC. Like, just so good at sprawling and his takedown defense is impeccable. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think it is a Marvin Vittori fight, the fight that everybody's kind of expecting at 185 pounds, which is is an awesome fight. Yeah, yeah. It's just now it makes me think of these fights I hadn't thought of before at 170 pounds. It's like the the meme of the guy with his arm around his girlfriend, but he's, like, looking behind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So... It, the best fight to make is Whitaker Vittori, but I'm not going to help but look back and see that pretty pretty Usman Whitaker fight or the right. Whitaker fight in any of those guys at 170 pounds. Whit- Whitaker Covington would be awesome. That's a sick fight. Yeah, it's true. But I think you're right. Probably less of a story than people are making it. Yeah. Also, Dominic, <laughs> this one, I mean, do, did I need to put it on here? No, but I thought it was interesting. Fair. The, the New York Post did an interview with former... UFC heavyweight champion, current WWE, I don't know if he's the WWE champion or universal champion. He's one of the two. One of the two. They did an interview with Brock Lesnar, and they asked him about a potential return to the octagon. Now, the last we had really even heard about Brock, he won at UFC 200 against Mark Hunt. (laughs) Popped first PEDs. Went back to the WWE. Then... Two years later, the biggest super fight at the time between Daniel Cormier and Stipe. Daniel Cormier knocked out Stipe, me and Dominic's favorite fighter, in the first round. And then Brock Lesnar came in the cage. They basically just like, like with a broom, took Stipe out of the cage. Mm -hmm. And then Brock Lesnar shoved DC. Everybody's kind of laughing though in the cage. It's really weird. And then Brock said, DC, I'm coming for you, motherfucker. Threw the microphone and Joe Rogan's hand. Yes. Into the camera and probably broke it. So we haven't seen Brock Lesnar or heard from him in an MMA capacity in a long time. And they asked him about his potential return. And he basically said, eh, eh. 
He said, those days are behind me. Thank God. He was incredibly grateful, thankful to Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta for the opportunity. He said that he was treated very well, but he said he's too old, which yeah. I believe he is like 43 years old. He's something getting like. up there, yeah. I mean, isn't it kind of crazy to think about that he's almost at the age where he could be competing with Randy Couture's record for the oldest champion, and that's who he beat to get the title. So yeah. kind of crazy that how the tides have turned there. Any surprise? Was there any surprise to you? Was there any? Have you even thought like maybe Brock Lesnar would make a return to the octagon? No, hasn't crossed my mind since that DC thing a couple years ago. Uh, but it was cool to you know again, guys. If you don't know, Brock was like the first cash cow, you know, for the UFC. He was yeah. that guy. He was the pay per view guy. Headlined UFC yes. 100, putting asses in the seats, selling tickets, selling merch, everything. It was massive. I remember being such a little kid when he came over, thinking. Oh my gosh, he's going over the I was the biggest WWE guy and the most <laughs> casual said, UFC fan. You said, hold on, not to cut you off. But you go, you said, I remember I was such a little kid. And it's like, well, yeah, you were a little kid. What do you mean, such a little kid? <laughs> I was a little kid. Fine. I'll just put it that way. Um, and it was just such a big deal then. And we were able to grow older and see. I mean, what he did really was historic for considering the experience that he had and everything so what he did was great in the ufc the pay-per-views the main events everything was awesome but it ran its course you know he came back at ufc 200 they ran that badass promo i'll never forget that promo that was sick uh but then the fight you know as as good as he looked it wasn't even that great of a fight but he looked good thinking oh maybe brock's gonna make a run for a title he pops for peds jacked up farm boy i think is what he said pre-fight and stuff so uh or maybe that was even in a post fight. So, fight, yeah. yeah, he did what he did. It was awesome. But now he's back. And honestly, to his credit, to do what he's doing still in the WWE in his 40s uh, is still so impressive regardless. So, uh, Brock, you did what you had to do, but I'm glad you turned it down and said, this is a young man's game in yeah. MMA. It's so true. And yeah. my beginnings as a, as a fan, or not as a fan, my beginnings – of showing any interest in MMA started with Brock Lesnar yeah. when he was the heavyweight champion. Cause I, again, like you pro wrestling kids. So seeing Brock Lesnar come over there to real fighting and was dominating. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. Did I never really, but again, I I'm, I'm like 10 at the time. I, I don't have a credit card. I, I can't buy $60 pay-per-views a month. I wish they were still sixty dollars. When they were sixty dollars, <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, so I, I never was able to really commit to it. But then um, UFC one ninety nine, my good friend Dominic invites me over. Historic and that's night. That's the card where they played the hype video for UFC two hundred, and you saw the Brock Lesnar clips. I was like, that whole night was just the perfect culmination of making someone a fan. I mean, really yeah. think about it. Michael yeah. Bisping's you know, unreal title win, which of course I didn't really understand the full <laughs> complexities of till later, but it was still a great moment. And yeah, Brock Lesnar, that whole, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. That's what ended Dana White and Ariel Helwani's professional relationship. True. True. Fun fact. And yeah, so they still don't like each other <laughs> to this day. Not even close. <laughs> but let's get into the fight announcements. Goodbye to Brock Lesnar. Maybe. <laughs> May he continue to dominate in the WWE because he seems True. to be doing good over True. there. Bellator, Dominic. They announced I'm a couple you. of big cards coming up. They're back. 
Haven't done this in a while. They used to do this a lot. They're going back to the whole doubleheader weekend card. So oh, Hawaii, yeah. Hawaii's going to get two cards. Bellator 278 and 279 on back-to-back days. Friday, April 23rd. And Saturday, April 24th. Now, we don't have any fights announced for that Friday card. <laughs> Good luck living up to what the Friday card's going <laughs> to be. But <do>. Saturday, <laughs> we got two title fights. And, yeah. I mean, it's the start of the Bantamweight Grand Prix. So, Dominic, I'm going to start with the... I'm going to start with the, the women's title fight because it's less price to be said about that. A rematch between Chris Cyborg for her featherweight title against Arlene Blinko. Is there any real... Considering all the talk we've been making about her versus Kayla, then we had this whole thing with Kat Zingano maybe being thrown in and she just lost her fight. We thought maybe that was because she was going to get yeah, this title fight. Fuck? And now we're running it back with the number one contender in the division. So... Does it feel like we're settling here? Yeah, very much. I don't know why uh, this isn't um, Kat Zingano getting the title fight. It's a fight that's never happened. She's right there at number two. It makes no sense. Yeah. But, hey, all my all credit to Cyborg for making another defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, respect to one of the one of the best. I just, yes. we've seen this. She's done it already. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But what we really want to talk about the first <laughs> two matchups of that bantamweight Grand Prix have been announced. Patchy mix. We'll be taking on Kyoji Horiguchi. And then the title fight to headline the card, Sergio Pettis defending his title against his teammate, Rafael Stotts. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of chatter about this, Dominic. So I'm going to get your quick thoughts here. Surprised that they didn't put these two opposite sides of the bracket. Um, A little bit because basically Rafael Stotts is the whole reason that this – Grand Prix's come together, if I'm being honest. Because he said uh, in his fight that he last won. Why am I blanking? Who did he beat? Didn't he beat Patchy Boot? Magomed Magomedov. Magomed Magomedov. Thank you. He literally said, Sergio's my boy. Let's do a Grand Prix instead. I'm like, dude, you just blew your shot to get a, t- a title shot. It's fine. Whatever. And then they match him up anyway in the first round of the Grand Prix. Uh, this was the fight to make, though, if I'm being honest. So this is the one I want to see. I am shocked considering kind of how Stotts played it off that they didn't pair him differently, but I'm glad we get to see it first and foremost. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a fantastic matchup. Really, both of these matchups to start it out, I think they hit the nail on the head with both. I mean, Patchy Mix versus Horiguchi is a phenomenal fight as well. Mm-hmm. Horiguchi um, just lost to Sergio Pettis after dominating the whole fight. Then he gets spinning back fisted. So it leads me to believe he still has plenty left you know what i'm saying because he looked so good and patchy mix is an absolute stud as well that whole night of fights is incredible but with those two kicking off the grand prix i was already excited but now that i know a couple of the matchups i love it i'm not surprised that this matchup's happening first at first i was because again i thought when stott said that it kind of meant i kind of felt like he didn't want to fight Sergio like they didn't want to fight each other that's kind of how I felt but then I kind of think that maybe Stotts foregone his or what am I trying to say here that he worked around getting a title fight like so they could do probably Bellator wanted to do this because I mean look at how how stacked this division is for them I mean clearly they would want to do a Grand Prix here so maybe he agreed to kind of hold off on his title shot. But then he was like, well, I want that to be my first fight though. I don't want to have to work for the title that I already earned the title yeah. shot. I already earned. So right. 
I think it makes a lot of sense to do these two, even though when I think of a bracket, a tournament, you'd like to see one versus eight. You know? True. And True. it doesn't really feel like that, but it's, I mean, a small price to pay. Patchy makes Horiguchi is a very great fight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think this means those two will be on the same side of the bracket, those two fights. So yeah. if it's anything like the light heavyweight Grand Prix anyway, so... Could good chance Horiguchi Pettis too might be the the finals of that side? What a fight that would be! But then Patchy Mix and Stotts. I mean, all the potential matchups here are awesome. So many. And yeah, the two that we're getting are fantastic. This is going to be an awesome card. Another banger card from Bellator that's coming up. Mm-hmm. They ain't messing and, around. All right, we're back. I have to do a quick, <laughs> quick piss or piss break, and also. Play the ring the bells. Play the sirens. Hot off the presses, breaking news, Dominic. As we are recording, I don't know who broke this first. I'm going to say probably Brad Okamoto, but it could have been, you know, I don't know, someone. Someone. A fight that's been rumored, but it's officially happening at UFC 274 on May 7th. May 7th. We will see Michael Chandler take on Tony Ferguson. Oh, man. Literally... I don't know if you guys could tell. <laughs> Go back and want, if you're watching this on YouTube. While we were talking the Bellator fights, I saw it pop up. So you might have saw. Maybe I gave it away a little bit. I don't know. But I had to piss so bad I probably didn't show anything besides uh, being anxious. Anyways, Dominic, is this the right fight to make right now for both guys? It seems to make sense, you know. I mean, Chandler's came in, and while he's one and two, it's the best one and two I've ever seen, you know, yeah. inside uh, the UFC octagon. And for uh, Tony Ferguson, he's really faltered lately. He's on this losing streak, but there's still a part of me that thinks there's still something. There's still something. That old Tony, that twelve fight win streak, Tony. There's a little bit left, and if anyone's going to bring that out, I think it's Michael Chandler. I think that is a phenomenal matchup um i love that you did that live on air you surprised me i didn't know what it was noah broke it to me too um so i love everything about that fight it's been rumored for a while it makes plenty of sense um wow i mean i love everything about it man i love the fight but i also am i'm somewhat pessimistic on tony ferguson right now i i I was really riding high with him through each loss. Like he lost to Gaethje, but then when Charles Oliveira and him fought, I said, Tony's going to bounce back here. Yeah. Got dominated there. Then Benil Dariush, I said, well, Tony's definitely going to dominate this one. Like I like Dariush, but this is a huge step up. Right. Dominated Tony Ferguson in that one. Like Tony's not just losing. He's getting brutalized. True. Bad. Nearly tearing every limb. Like before he taps and shit. I mean, crazy what he's, willed himself through but i think it's a great fight it's just again like michael chandler is one and two but considering the fact that like he's one of the best fighters in bellator history like a lot of these guys in the ufc when they spend their career in the ufc they their record rises like He's one and two against three of the best fighters in the whole division. And he could easily be three and oh, by the way. <laughs> this is true. I mean, yeah. especially the two and one, if you want to. I mean, yeah. the Gaethje fight was maybe a little more yeah. in Gaethje's favor. But yes, you're right. I mean, especially the title fight with Oliveira. He nearly won the fight in the first round. I I mean, it's hard not to love this fight, right? Like, it's right. two of the biggest 
stars in the lightweight division, two guys that aren't in their prime anymore but are still putting up great fights. It's just for Tony, I just need to see more in his actual performance, and I'm not seeing that. And I didn't think it was good for him to get a guy, again, this dangerous in his next fight. I feel like he should have been fighting a little bit outside the top 10 maybe mm-hmm. a fight to not um what do they call it not like a a warm-up fight or a gimme fight or whatever but someone just less proven for him to try and get comfortable with again because he course. just seems to be a little out of sorts right now but i put it like this tony ferguson's never really i don't know if he's ever been beaten via strikes i don't know if that's ever happened but michael chandler could be the one man That'd be crazy. Yeah, I'm just, there are so many types of things that we get to break down for that in May. I mean, the fact that they're pairing that with the lightweight title fight as well, with Gaethje Oliveira, I think says something. Um, what what a fight. I mean, the X's and O's on that are going to be endless. Woo! Welcome to a first on the yeah. Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. Yep, and two weeks later, last one, Eagle FC announced the signing of former heavyweight champion in the UFC, Junior Dos Santos. He'll be making his debut at a card for Eagle FC on May 20th in Miami, I believe, along with what the last two have been, I think. He's going up against uh, UFC veteran Jorgen DeCastro, who's coming off a pretty big win in his debut for Eagle FC. To be honest, I like, I'm cool with it. Like, I, I think Junior Dos Santos, I know he had a rough end to his UFC career, but I didn't feel like he had, like, nothing left. Like, this isn't like yeah. a Diego Sanchez situation yet, in my opinion. Yeah. Felt like he could still be competitive at a smaller promotion. Here he goes. And, yes, I guess Jorgen DeCastro is the right opponent. But, I mean, this is a guy... I like Jorgen DeCastro, okay? he's a, He can be a fun fighter. But, he, I mean, this is a guy that's lost to Greg Hardy. He's mm-hmm. lost to Carlos Felipe. Like, now he's going up against Junior Dos Santos. I mean, I... Maybe, just maybe, the matchmaking on this one still just not... I, I'm still just... The matchmaking just still very weird for Eagle, but are you excited for the signing for them anyway? Yeah, I like this for JDS. I'd love. I'd rather see him go here than a place like Bare Knuckle, for example, <laughs> you know, because I think that was rumored a, a little while back when he first became a free agent. Probably, so, probably. Uh, I like this here with uh, Eagle FC. They're, they have a high-quality production. Uh, they're trying to become big, especially here in the States. The matchup, um, I don't hate it. You know, it's not like the best ever, but the fact that you're putting him with another UFC vet is cool. You know, Jorgen's obviously a little bit younger, a little bit more agile still, but JDS is always going to have that power, man. He's always been a good boxer, so could be a fun fight, uh, and I'm just glad to see JDS still has a little bit of uh, that fighting spirit left in him over there. Make make some money, finish with a win or two maybe in Eagle FC. Now let's get into the rest. There's <sighs> still a lot to go over here. Let's go back to UFC, UFC Vegas 50. Co-main event, Bantamweight division, Marlon Marais. Oh, my goodness. Fighting for what might be his career at this point against the young stud, Song Yadong, coming off of a – I believe he's coming off of a win, isn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, two in a row. Casey Kenny. And uh, beat, uh, beat Kyler Phillips as well. Kyler Phillips, thank you. So two wins in a row for Song Yadong, kind of getting back on track after a tough – he had a tough little run in there where, like, I think he got a decision win over Marlon Barra, but it didn't feel like he should have got the win. And 
Um, you know, he's just had an, he had an iffy run there for a couple of years, but seems like we're back on track. You know, he's very young. What is he? 24, 25 right he's now. 24 he's years old. Crazy. And Marlon Rice, you know, I don't know how old he is, but fight years wise, you know, it feels like we're at the near end. You know, he's been coming off some tough string of losses. I mean, he looked great early against Marav, but then Marav just having that miraculous comeback. That shit was crazy. Marlon Marais proving once again, he's like the best first round fighter in UFC history. Yeah. But it goes past that. He's just not the same guy. Right. Do you expect anything different here? Cool. That's a good question, man. I mean, for Marais, he had such a quick, devastating rise to that title. But man, once he got there, he has fallen uh, very quickly. He's lost three in a row. All have been by KO, TKO. Um, and not that he hasn't been in the fights, he has been, but when he loses, it's quite convincing. Song Yudong, a different style of fighter compared to the rest of this. It's definitely a drop down in competition, but for Song Yudong, again, one of the guys that could be the future of this division as well, but he's very slow-paced and methodical, but when he when he lands, there's power still there for Yudong. So, uh, you know, it is a big fight for Marlon. It does feel like he might just be fighting for his career inside the UFC even though he's still fighting, you know, number 14 ranked uh, fighter here. But, you know, on the opposite spectrum, Song Yudong, again, only 24 years old. No, this is going to be his 10th UFC fight already, and he's yeah. 24 years old. Absolutely insane. And he's been great, you know, during it. He's 7-1-1 one, and one so far, or 7-1 and one with a, no contest. But uh, this is a big test. It's a big jump, regardless of the skid that Marlon's on. So if Song Yudong wins this, it's going to actually tell me a lot because he's beaten other guys that are in – you know, his territory, the up-and-comers, the newer guys that have a, a bright future. But Marlon's been there and done that. If he can beat him, that's going to tell me a lot about the potential upside that we can see from him. Well said. Alex Caceres looks to get his first top 15 win going up against Sadiq Youssef. Dominic, a lot of people excited about Alex Caceres and this run he's been on. Mm-hmm. But I want you to tell the people why he's running into his toughest test to date. Yeah, I mean, I, I've loved Sadiq ever since the Contender Series, man, and um, he's truly just one of my favorite guys to watch. He's a guy that is, is nonstop for, you know, three rounds, 15 minutes, but he can get finishes too. He's very patient, picks his shots, very technical, very smart fighter. The only loss he's had uh, inside the UFC was to Arnold Allen, who we've already mentioned once on this show. We're going to mention him again next week for UFC London. For Alex Caceres, what a career he has had inside the UFC. 14 wins, 10 losses, a no contest. He's been doing it since 2011, Noah, and he's just now looking the best he's ever looked. He's won five in a row, and he's even sprinkled in some finishes that we're not used to seeing from him. Uh, But, man... This is a tough one for him because Sadiq is good in the same areas that Caceres is good. Now, Alex is, has a very underrated ground game, so there could potentially be areas there for him to expose because Sadiq, we haven't seen challenge much there. But outside of that, it really feels like Yusuf kind of checks all the boxes in this matchup. So it's going to be tough. But, man, if he comes in and wins this, what what a – what a run for him that no one would have ever thought before for Caceres. Mm-hmm. But to make it potentially six in a row, that's saying something, man. But it's an uphill it, battle. It is saying something. It's a still a big jump up. He's coming off a win over Sungwoo Choi. And yeah. from going from him to Sadiq Yusuf is a pretty big jump, I would say. Now, I think Caceres is deserving of this yes. opportunity. 
I wouldn't necessarily have put him in the top 15, but I get it. You know, he's riding a five-fight winning streak. A win over Yusuf would do a lot for him. Mm-hmm. But it does kind of feel like an uphill battle, in my opinion. I mean, the, I'm not just saying I know Yusuf is a favorite, but stylistically, you're right. Yusuf seems to just be, at least up to this point we've seen, at least a more consistent fighter yeah. than Caceres. Now, the one thing I will say for Caceres is he has remained very active over the last few years, while Yusuf hasn't really been that guy. His last fight was his first loss last year against Arnold Allen, a great opponent, obviously, a close fight. But I believe that was his first fight since January 2020. Am I wrong on that? Uh, I, mean, I think I'm that's pretty right. sure that's he basically fighting like once a year at this point, and it's just... Hard to imagine unless he boosts that, you know, activity. If he loses here, like, how much is that going to set him back if he's only fighting once a year, right? Right, so, right. It feels like a sense of urgency in this fight, in my opinion, for Sadiq Yusuf. It feels a bit like time to kick it into a second gear. Yeah, I agree, man. Also on the card, Drew Dober, a guy who's really boosted his stock, even through his losses as of late with Islam Makachev and Brad Rydell. He looks to get back to his winning ways against a buzzsaw in this division. A man taking this fight on a week notice, less than a week notice. Basically. Which has been a theme. Yeah, (laughs) the the past three weeks. (laughs) It's Terrence McKinney back after, I think it was two weeks ago he fought. Yes. So he's back. Terrence McKinney coming off a submission win before in the first round against Faraz Ziam. His debut Seven-second knockout, fastest in lightweight history. This has the makings of an absolute slaughter knocker, as you like to say. (laughs) But Dominic, I feel like Terrence McKinney, even as the underdog, he's being kind of... It feels like this is a fight he's going to win, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All the momentum is riding on Terrence McKinney. He's saying, I'm going to be champion by the end of next year. In order to do that, we got to get rolling. And a win over Drew Dober would do so much for his stock. And I think the biggest difference here is, well, if this fight stays standing, I actually think I side with Drew Dober in the sense... He, I don't think he carries as much power as Terrence McKinney. I mean, McKinney knocked a guy out in seven seconds. But, <laughs> but I stand with Drew Dober for this reason, and it's the durability. Drew Dober yes. can take an unreal amount of power shots, and you saw that in the Rydell fight. Terrence McKinney hasn't always held up chin-wise. Even in the Contender Series, that's how he lost. He got knocked out by Sean Woodson. So yep. The difference is that Terrence McKinney has an extraordinary wrestling background and submission game. And we saw Dober not really hold up very well when Islam Makachev was taking him down. Now, there's probably a big difference from Terrence McKinney to Islam Makachev, but it's enough to maybe separate this fight. That's enough for me to think that maybe... Terrence McKinney has just something that Drew Dober can't really defend. Now, is that the way you kind of see this fight going? If McKinney wins, it's going to need to be with his wrestling, with his submissions, or can he win this fight standing, Dom? That's an awesome question because quite literally, we have not seen much of Terrence McKinney. I mean, no, he's on a five-fight win streak. All five of those combine for four minutes and three seconds. The guy just doesn't like being in the cage very long, but he likes staying active, and that's what he's doing here. But this is a jump. I mean, there's jumps in competition, but then there's this. Drew Dober has been in there with 
everybody, it feels like, whether they're ranked, unranked, up-and-comers, veterans, you name it. So for Terrence McKinney, you're right. If it's on the feet, he's got that power. He's got the long reach. But Drew Dober is very durable. And Drew Dober is just like a well-rounded fighter, not great in any one particular area. Terrence McKinney is kind of that, but elevated a bit, you know, with probably a little bit more of an elite grappling background but elite upside i would say yes yes so for him to win this i think this is gonna be the test we need to see from terrence to see how much potential upside he has because if you can beat a guy like drew dober whether it's a decision or you go in and knock him out in 10 seconds says a lot but i think he's going to be battle tested i think we will see mckinney potentially go 15 hard minutes here against dober um so yeah what he needs to do to win is a great question i think it's just a matter of don't get overzealous because dober's seen it all so you're not going to go in there and surprise him with anything but if he can just kind of pick his shots and look for the openings if he can grapple submissions might present themselves this is a big test for mckinney but if he passes man what a leap it could be a fight where we learn a lot about mckinney because if this fight goes to round three i don't know if mckinney's ever been in that round Maybe once, maybe. Maybe once. He's never <laughs> went to a decision, though. So, yeah. like, can he maintain yeah. his excellence for three rounds? Right. <clears throat> Opening up this main card. This me. card is sick, dude. <laughs> Alex Pajera, the man who beat Israel Asanya twice in kickboxing, makes his second go in the UFC octagon. He goes up against Bruno Silva, oh my goodness, man, who's really been riding on a lot of people's radars as of late because he's been finishing everybody. Everybody, this guy, this guy has been a stone cold killer in the cage. So you get a battle of two guys that love to knock people out, Dominic. A lot of people kind of sort of siding with the underdog. I feel like Bruno Silva, a popular underdog pick this week, a lot more experience than Alex Pajera. But do you do you tend to believe the upside of Pajera and uh, the background in kickboxing is going to be too much? Yeah, I understand why people are calling for the upset. You know, <laughs> the underdog value there in Silva, which we'll talk about probably in the nosebleeds tune in tomorrow. But what he likes to do is knock people out, as Noah said. But Alex Pajera has done all that and then some. So if he's wanting to get into a swing and bang type fest here with uh, Alex... I don't know if that's the greatest idea, no, because we're talking about one of the most decorated kickboxers and backgrounds that you can have, you know? So this is going to be a banger. It ain't going to last very long. It damn sure ain't going fit. If this fight goes the distance, I don't know. I'll do something. <laughs> I mean, the odds are camera. what? Aren't the odds like plus 600? Yeah. yeah. To go the distance is like. Yeah, something crazy, like no said. Anyway, this ain't going the distance. Don't worry about it. It's hard to sprinkle value on it, but if you want to put it in a parlay, I highly recommend it because it ain't going to happen, people. <laughs> this is going to be a fun scrap for as long as it lasts. If Bruno does win this, holy shit. I mean, put him right into the top 15 with an opponent. If Pajera wins this convincingly, because whoever wins this, it's going to be quite convincing. Give him top 15 as well. This is a big fight. Following that, Eagle FC, we do have one more fight to talk about on this card. Not headlining the card. We get to <laughs> yeah. see, though, the first Eagle FC title fight in the United States. For the heavyweight title, Rizvan Kunaev looks to defend against Anthony Hamilton, former UFC fighter. Yeah. So, Dominic, our first 
title fight for Eagle FC in America. How are you feeling about this one? Well, here's that matchmaking again you like to talk about, <laughs> Noah, because we've got a 29-year-old killer in uh, Kunaev, who is the champion, versus a 41-year-old, 18-win, 10-loss, Anthony Hamilton, a guy that's Coming 0 loss. Thank you. 0-1 in Eagle FC. Let's give him the title fight, says Captain Habib. But, you know, listen, I'm glad we're getting a title fight. Noah and I actually passed this conversation around. I don't know if we did it on a show or not, but we were wondering when the Eagle FC would want to kind of present titles and contenders mm-hmm. over here in the States. They're doing it in their second show. So, listen, again, it's MMA. There's always potential for upsets, but this is a tough, tough matchup here for Hamilton. I am curious to see, though, for Kunaev, how good is he being the champion there? 29 in his prime. Just how good are you compared to the other heavyweight title holders? Yeah, I mean, this is clearly another setup matchmaking here. I mean, I kind of get it, I guess, for this one because you're showing this champion who hasn't really been exposed to an American audience. You want to give him a favorable matchup. I guess that's what they're doing here. doesn't make much sense for Anthony Hamilton to be fighting for a title coming right. off of his only performance in Equal FC, which was a loss. But, I mean, I'm kind of just getting tired of, like, barking up the same tree with Equal FC. So we'll just see how the fight plays out. I mean, maybe Anthony Hamilton has uh, ace up the sleeve or something. I don't know. There you go. Co-main event of Bellator 276. Purely put this one on here for Dominic. But it's a good fight. It is a good fight. I do Bill like Davis, he's coming off that win over Yoel Romero. A fight that it felt like, for most people, they kind of just... It came and went, right? It was one of those fights like Yoel Romero's debut. It was a big deal. And then he looked lackluster. He didn't even know the fight was three rounds. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Some wacky shit going on there. But Dominic, <laughs> on the other hand, took quite a bit from that fight. He was very impressed with Phil Davis, who is, I believe, 36 years old at this point. A guy who fought at a very competitive level in the UFC. Over in Bellator, he's been a champion. Still number two ranked in a division. Yeah. He's going up against Julius Anglicus coming off a title shot loss where he had yep. to kind of step up for, I believe that was Anthony uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson who had to yes. be removed from the Grand Prix. Uh, so Anglicus stepped up. Doesn't get any, <laughs> he loses that fight against Nemkov. Now he's got to go up against Phil Davis. I mean, poor guy's kind of getting really tough matchups here, but also big opportunities, right, Dom? Yeah, very true. If he can come in here and beat Phil Davis, who's been a title holder, who has also lost to Nemkov, who is number two, he puts himself right back in there amongst the title contenders. And for Davis, he's just got to win. You know, I think he's got to win. I think this is an opportunity for him to put on another quote-unquote dominant performance. I think that's just the way his style kind of matches here with Anglicus. If it stays on the feet, that could be a different story. Anglicus is well-rounded, but when Davis gets on top of you, man, he's not letting you go nowhere. He's not letting you throw up submissions. So uh, it could be a kind of a, just a, a statement win for Davis to show, hey, I'm ready for a title fight again. For Anglicus, hey, I'm still here too. So I can't mm-hmm. can't wait for that one. Yeah, I think this whole Bellator card is actually really good. It I mean, is good. It's easy to write it off because you look at the main event and maybe you're not too familiar with Burnell or Borix and you're like, eh. But – you go deep on this card, there's a lot of people to watch out for. Obviously, the, the fight that got cut, unfortunately, John Salter, Johnny Eblen. Eblen, I believe, 12-0, and 10-0, something like that. He's yeah. perhaps a win away from competing for a title against a guy who just lost to Gegard Mousasi and John Salter. And also, you have a couple prospects to watch on the prelims. Romero Cotton is back. A lot of people still high on him. And then 
Is it Roman Feraldo? What's that? Uh, I think it's Roman, yeah. Roman Feraldo, who I believe, it's the guy in the fall who had the incredible flying knee knockout for Bellator. So uh, both those guys on this card, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of names to watch out for. One that you should probably check out early on YouTube if you don't even want to buy Showtime. True. You can watch the prelims on YouTube. So that's it for the MMA weekend preview. Let us know your thoughts on all these fights, all the fighters involved. All the news stories we talked about. Is Robert Whitaker going back to welterweight, or is he just simply taking a sooner-than-expected bout at middleweight? Uh, let us know all that and more. But uh, that's it. I'm Dom. I'm... <laughs> You're Dom. I'm Noah. I'm, Dom. <laughs> I'm Noah Baker. That's Dom Nixley. We're the below-average Joes. Damn and we'll right. see you next time.